Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Beer and Honey, the German football pod. Today we talk about the German national team. Grey Goose Hansi Flick flies no more. He was replaced by Eminence Gries Rudi Völler after a 4-1 defeat by Japan on Saturday and there was an immediate positive effect. Germany beat France 2-1 in Dortmund. Why were they so much better and what's next? Will we in the end even see Germany rediscover its love for Rudism? All of these questions and more will be answered here in the Beer and Honey podcast. Hello, dear listener. Thank you very much for tuning in. Here's a Germany National Edition, timely enough after a momentous week for the German FA. Big changes. And here to discuss everything is uh, me, Alfred Honigstein. And me, Christoph Biermann. Okay, Christoph, let's start with the end. The end for Hansi Flick. It came earlier, perhaps, than anticipated. Most people thought that he would have two more chances to save himself or to save his reign with those friendlies against Japan and France. But the German fave pulled the plug after the first one because Germany lost 4-1 and they were quite disastrous. Hansi Flick becoming the first ever Germany manager to get fired. Why did things go so spectacularly wrong for somebody who a couple of years ago was seen as a really safe hand, somebody who would really connect with the players on an emotional level, wouldn't do anything silly tactically and would yeah, get some decent results. None of these things happened. Mm. Can you explain? I would like to, and, uh, but, but I think it's, it's pretty difficult. And I think everybody even involved with the German national team will it find difficult uh, to answer this uh, uh, properly because, um, as you said, um, Hansi Flick was very much liked by everybody, by the players. You could see it um, from the farewell. It's uh, you could could see that there was a a real sadness, um, the feeling that they kind of let him down. So it's not what you. Um, I mean, you you said it. This one four against uh, Japan was terrible. And uh, sometimes after this kind of matches, uh, you think, ah, yes, uh, the uh, the players and the coach have fallen out. Um, uh, but but that's not not the uh, the the true story. I was wondering, Raphael, um, if he in the end um, was not a good tactician, or if he was not. I mean, in a football sense, not in a in a political sense or so, um, that couldn't get high, his ideas um, over to the players or he had the wrong ideas. What do you think? All of the above, um, Christoph, I think. Yeah. The documentary about the World Cup was so revealing and so scary in a sense showing a coach who doesn't connect with the players who doesn't inspire them who seems to be unsure with his own ideas i think there's a very fine line between trying to be very inclusive and bringing in everybody in and, and 
consulting opinions to looking bereft of any own ideas when you're constantly saying, what do you think? Well, what, what's your opinion? I want to hear your thoughts on this high line. Should we play a lower line? Should we play? And, you know, for a team that had just lost against Japan again in the World Cup, wanting clear answers, wanting or needing uh, a sense of um, pressure, of motivation, it looked so empty. It looked so anemic. It looked so <laughs> low on character, low on charisma. And that was the big surprise because when we know Hansi Flick talking publicly, he's not a great orator. He's not a great speaker. But we always thought because of his ability to connect with players on an emotional level, that behind the scenes, there was somebody who really knew how to push the right buttons. And I think in hindsight, what it showed to me was that Hansi's inexperience of only ever coaching 18 months at the top level in his whole life began to show the moment things didn't go well. Because he was great at riding the wave at Bayern. He was great at making sure that players who hated Niko Kovac were happy that he's there, were happy that a different system was brought back, just kind of continued playing. But when it came to changing things, when it came to addressing problems, when it came to building something of his own, couldn't just reproduce Bayern in the national team. Hansi fell really flat, fell really flat and came very short in my view. You said that this situation, this this talks uh, uh, with uh, Hansi Flick and his players look anemic and, and, and uh, yeah, lifeless in, in a way, disconnected. I mean, I, uh, 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 as I've already said, I had the chance to see a lot of uh, team talks uh, of Urs Fischer at, at Union Berlin in the season I was there. And also Urs is not the greatest orator. Um, and he isn't, he, um, what you see outside, you also see inside. And I also remember a lot of situation when he was saying, was denkt ihr Jungs? What are you thinking guys? And, and a group of, of 25 players is sitting there, hands uh, uh, before their chest crossed and nobody's saying anything. But, The big difference, the big difference uh, between Urs Fischer and Hansi Flick is not that <laughs> Urs Fischer has the better animals for motivational <laughs> talks, uh, not, not the odd geese uh, that uh, Flick was using um, at, at the World Cup. Um, but he gives everybody a clear plan what's going on on the pitch. So, and, and, and that's, I think, what, what players also on this level of football want to have. They don't want to discuss, are we playing higher up or lower? They want a, play, they want a coach to decide. Yes, probably they want to be consulted. Talk about it. How do you feel? And good. And I, I think most of the uh, uh, coaches do that. 
they ask, how do you feel this formation? If we attack higher, if we overload this side or that side, that's constant process of a, of a football team to discuss this kind of detail. But the general direction that has to come from the, from the coach or, or from the manager. And that I think was leading. And so the general feeling was uh, this of ever growing tinkering uh, with, the, with the German national team. And um, and I think I, by watching the team, you had the feeling that players went onto the pitch and asked themselves, "How do I get a life out of here?" I mean, um, because it was everything was so messy. It was, and and just just finally, the other thing that came across, I thought, in the documentary, which probably has to go down as one of the most spectacular sort of own goals when it comes to representing your. Yourself um, for the German FA, for Fancy Flick, and, and ultimately for the team, was kind of the lack of discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw Flick uh, repeatedly um, saying, "Why are why are these players too late?" But we didn't see anything happening. We kind of said, "Oh, and again, two players are late. That's really annoying." And you know, we're, we're at the World Cup, but there didn't seem to be any comeback for that there didn't seem to be any real repercussions and I think players a little bit like kids with a teacher they will push often as far as they can until the point of resistance and it looked to me as if Flick was pushed very very far without really showing much resistance at all and that lack of lack of discipline lack of passion lack of Yeah, ultimately togetherness. It's not all down to him, but he wasn't able to instill that. And I think for a national team and for a big competition, it's hard to play without that properly. What I what, what I also I was wondering after seeing the documentary and imagine what happened after the World Cup because uh, the documentary ends with the exit uh, of the World Cup is. How did nobody see it? I mean, uh, Oliver Bierhoff and later on, uh, when, when uh, Bilever, uh, Oliver Bierhoff was um, dismissed, um, Rudi Völler. How, how, how couldn't they see it? It's, um, I, I think it, it's, it's pretty obvious. Also, in a way, not to, ah, we have to fire him, but maybe we have to give him the advice. Hansi, You you have to uh, to to give them the plan. You you have to show them directions and so on to help them probably de develop in that sense. Uh, give them a, a, um, a simpler tactical framework as um, Rudi Völler, Hannes Wolf, and Sandro Wagner did against um, uh, when Germany played against uh, France, for example. This kind of advice is to how to, to solve the situation. I don't know. We, we don't know what, <clears throat> what has been said um, after the World Cup and how it has been discussed internally. But um, I think the, the story they told themselves were they were victim of the circumstances. Everybody let them down. 
Uh, they were uh, victims of these political struggles about the armband. Nobody at home was supporting them and, and blah, blah, blah. This was a story they were telling themselves. And I think it had an effect. Yes, but that's not the, the whole story. Absolutely not. And of course, Flick, to really finish that subject, was given the benefit of the doubt after the World Cup. There was this view that, yes, they had 20 bad minutes against Japan. Otherwise, it was maybe not a bad tournament. They were a little bit unlucky for the reasons off the pitch that you mentioned as well. And uh, let's go again. But the problem was then things got progressively worse. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Japan game from Qatar compared to the Japan game from Wolfsburg <laughs> was not just in terms of the results, but also in the performance night and day and, and such a regression that at that point, um, even the, the very benign, very forgiving German FA, who doesn't want to rock the boat unless they really have to, thought, okay, we, we can't, go, can't go on. And, of course, they put Rudy Feller in charge, or Rudy Feller put himself in charge. <laughs> He's the interim sporting director. He's now also the interim coach. And um, things looked very, very different against France. Uh, they won 2-1. Christoph, was it most of all that strange, emotional, intangible, metaphysical effect of simply changing the guy who's sitting on that bench? Or was there something a bit more substantial going on that made Germany look so much better? Um, it's both true. And um, I mean, I'm, I'm always fascinated by the um, aspect of randomness, luck, uh, bad luck, and so on, and when you when you look uh, back on the um, on on the last games under Hansi Flick, also in in this context, everything that could go wrong went wrong. So when you look at um, the uh, I think the first goal against uh, from Japan. The shot was deflected by um, uh, by Antonio Rüdiger in a way that um, uh, Mark Andre Testegen couldn't save him. So an unlucky goal that set the tone for 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 the game. And here, and I tell this, or I, um, and that happened in 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 a lot of um, a lot of games. And in Dortmund against France, it was exactly vice versa. You had the first attack after three minutes and uh, Thomas Müller, <laughs> where, where a lot of people had thought and probably him, he himself that his career in the national team has, has, has already was already finished, um, scored the first goal. And then from then on, this very conservative, we tried to keep it simple, we tried to keep it... Um, it tied. Um, we we don't give the the French team a lot of space. We sparsely uh, try counter attacks and and so on. That worked perfectly well. And um, so and and then in uh, some minutes from time, um, they, they scored a very nice second goal uh, by Leroy Sané. They also could have scored before from Florian Wirtz. And, and yes, and they deserve this win, uh, 2-1, and uh, the, the French goal came 
um, after a penalty <laughs> when Leroy Sané, um, as we ever know, uh, forwards shouldn't be allowed to try to help out in this his own box and, and uh, uh, in a very clumsy manner uh, fouled his opponent. So, um, yeah, but it was a deserved win and um, it wasn't spectacular, but it was spectacular because it looked normal or simple or I don't know. And people liked it because uh, the German uh, players won, won a lot of duels and uh, um, some uh, <clears throat> uh, sliding into their opponents on, it was a bit raining in Dortmund. And so, so it, 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 it felt a bit old school Germany. Um, and that was good. Old school Germany in the sense that they had, as you said, a clear but but visible plan to run a lot, press a lot, and to maybe try to negate the opposition team without having the biggest of ideas in possession themselves, but executing that strategy quite well. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, especially um, in in places like Dortmund, but but in Germany in general, um, uh, football fans like it when when they have the the, the feeling um, that their team is giving it all, and even if it looks not like the greatest of uh, the greatest football. Um, they can celebrate it and 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 support it, and they were there was actually a good atmosphere in the stadium, remarkable good a uh, atmosphere in the uh, stadium, because I mean, people don't go to see the German national team to to see it fail or or to to boo it or to whistle it. They 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 wanted the team to succeed. Um, And, and now they were, were, were giving them something uh, to celebrate. But this is the interesting thing about the dynamic, uh, Christoph. Do you think they would have been as forgiving, as positive, as willing them to succeed if Furler hadn't been there, if Flick was still there? Or was this already sort of the new, a new Germany that people were saying, okay, you know, The past was was a disaster, but let's go again. Let's see what they can do. And just by changing something, it also changed the dynamic around the team and the way that they were supported. Yeah, um, yes, of course. But um, um, already um, uh, some days ago in Wolfsburg, the the crowd was very supportive before the game and and during the game and also towards the very end when Germany conceded the third and fourth goal they were really like booing and 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 whistling but the general so the general <laughs> feeling is like uh, so the the German national team the um, is also the sick man of German football and we we want to help him out we want to get him better Uh, can we do anything to keep the fever down? And uh, can we bring him some food or, or, or so? Uh, that's a bit the, the feeling about, about the national team. I mean, um, because I think the reason is the players are good in general. I mean, it's, it's everybody is thinking, and rightly so, the players are not as bad 
as a team plays. So you have just have to uh, pull some uh, pu uh, pull some screws or uh, have to fix something. And and actually, that's what what you could see in Dortmund against France. That it's uh, it's true. Yeah, and I think we've been saying that all along. <laughs> This is not a case of German football being completely down and out and million miles away from producing decent players as maybe the case was 20 years ago or just over 20 years ago. I mean, they have some weaknesses, especially in defense, I think. They have a problem with the number nine, but there's still enough quality to have decent performances and even beat a France team which perhaps wasn't playing with the biggest of motivations. Should we talk a little bit about that? I mean, was it more of a friendly for them than for this this Germany team on the filler? Yes, of course. You, you could see it. I mean, um, for example, Kylian Mbappé didn't play a minute. Uh, their best player. Uh, I, I think that also helped. And yes, you're right. The, the French team didn't look as uh, fiercely motivated as uh, the, uh, the Germans. And... Uh, yeah, so I think it was an underform French team uh, that could play much better. But um, it's also part of the job uh, to don't uh, to not allow them to get in the mood to ah hey here's a chance to play some nice football or so because there was uh, not some nice football to be played in Dortmund. And that was um, due to the uh, German team also. So, um, but but you're right. I mean, it was uh, it was not a super French team uh, defeated by a super German team. But it's uh, from a German perspective, it was a um, absolutely uh, uh, a step into the right direction. Yeah. So in the end, if if we talk a little bit about this uh, German culture war, about how this football malaise should be explained, I guess both sides can be happy because the traditionalists who said, well, there's a lack of fighting, there's a lack of running, there's a lot of attitude, we need to, you know, find this stuff again, forget about all this tiki-taka nonsense from, from Pep Guardiola, we have to be more German. They can say, look, this is, this is what happens when we play like that, while um, the other camp can say this is all nonsense These players uh, always were good enough. We don't have to talk about, uh, you know, some kind of moral decay in the German game or this generation has become too soft or, you know, we have to change now everything again and how we develop players uh, because the quality is clearly there with a few buttons being pushed, with a few screws being turned, as you said, we get a much bigger performance. So maybe that debate will, will linger on when it comes to who, the next manager is because there again, we have to maybe um, see it or we can see it as a sort of philosophical um, debate or decision. Are they going for somebody who stands for a more modern uh, approach in his football or are we maybe seeing Rudy Fuller staying on? Um, is Matthias Sommer uh, perhaps still an option? Um, what's next for this German FA and the German national team. Be, be, before before I answer this, um, uh, just to to bring these two camps of uh, uh, football camps together, 
we both know, obviously, that you need a, a, a good tactical order um, and organization to, to fight properly. So, um, and that's, I think, also part, was part of the problem of the Flick era. Um, I tell you who my favorite is, and, and then you can tell me um, in, in what kind of uh, philosophical, football philosophical dimension uh, this has. Uh, my favorite is Stefan Kunz, actually. Um, <clears throat> he is now a national coach for, for Turkey. Uh, decently successful, but not over overwhelmingly successful. He has uh, worked for the German. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at York's face. This <laughs> is <laughs> Stefan Kunz. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, he has been working for the German FA as an under 21 coach. Um, He has won uh, the under-21 uh, uh, European Championship twice and once reached the final. Um, and I think he is in a... He, I, I think he is more in the, um, in the logic of Rudi Völler, although there is um, only one Rudi Völler, obviously, as, uh, as the... This the the hit song about Rudi Völler um, uh, could be heard in Dortmund also again, um, but I think he could he he could he could be a good choice. So what what does it mean philosophically, and and what do you think about it? Doesn't strike me as the most sort of sophisticated football tactician. Mm -hmm. Is it enough for a team that in their day job are talking to? Tuchel are talking to Pep, are talking, talking to Xabi. Will they see this as a massive drop-off in terms of coaching quality and switch off quite quickly? I don't know. Kunz, I think, is probably a decent manager, as you said, but doesn't strike me as particularly inspiring or inspired as a choice. Maybe you need a very strong Yogi Löw character next to him, the way that Löw really helped Klinsmann in his first couple of years before he himself became the national manager. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't get my juices flowing, but maybe I'm not the target audience here. <laughs> and it's more important what happens in the dressing room. Um, why not Julian Nagelsmann? He's most people's favorite, I guess, in terms of The ability, the name, is he too young? Will he face the same problems that he had at Bayern, which was to connect with players, to man-manage players? Is he lacking a sort of seniority, perhaps, that you need in the job? Uh, that's at least my impression. Um, I, I think when you co compa would compare, for, for example, Kunz and, and uh, Nagelsmann uh, as tacticians and so on, there is no doubt about it that uh, Julian Nagelsmann surely is uh, um, in a different class. And um, But I think this, um, this na national team coach, not only in Germany, is... Um, It, it's a, it has a different job profile um, than your ordinary club coach. It, it, I think it is very much about creating atmospheres 
And and uh, and that's a f funny thing with uh, uh, a flick. I think he was actually good in this, or is actually good in this, and and uh, maybe it's uh, also the uh, secret behind his success story at Bayern. Um, but he, he he lacked the foundation to um, probably um, or obviously rather um, uh, to 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 have a. Um, a football idea or a, 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 a strong enough football idea that everybody could, could follow. Um, so, but I think um, as a for, for a national team, you don't need a master tactician. I think you, you need somebody who, who knows his uh, job uh, in a decent way. And uh, I also believe in, in teams where you have, um, somebody um, on the side that is probably the master tactician, uh, maybe. But you can also turn it around with Nagelsmann and say he is very good as a um, in the craft of being a, f a football manager. And what he is lacking uh, in seniority, you put him um, uh, someone like Horst Rubesch on the side also. I mean that was uh, wouldn't be possible, but uh, you get my idea. Beyond those two, are there any any other serious candidates? To, it was interesting to hear Bernd Neundorf, the German FA chairman, saying that we also consider foreigners because that seemed to be a taboo until recently. But because there's not that many options available, is it possible that the German FA could go for Oliver Glasner, uh, an Austrian, or even Louis van Gaal? Uh, these are names that are being mentioned. Um, it seems um, quite strange that a <laughs> country of 83 million imagined uh, national team coaches can't find one with the right passport. But is that where, where we might be going? Um, in general, yes. But in this two uh, example, it's, it's strange. I mean... Um, Louis van Gaal, I mean, he is fantastic. He is a successful coach with a great career. But he is such a, what is the equivalent of uh, Klugscheißer? And that is not learning Fußball Deutsch. Know it all. Uh, uh, know it all. Yeah, yeah so he is a... Slightly, he, slightly um, arrogant, maybe. <laughs> yes, so, so, and imagine Louis van Gaal sitting in a press conference and explaining the stupid Germans how football is going. I mean, that's that's one of his natural roles. He comes somewhere, uh, um, uh, finds out that everybody is an idiot uh, apart from him, and then he tells the people. And and uh, I mean, he's he, he's great, and um, I, I would like to see him as a uh, as a, um, a, a coach again, and maybe with a club team and so on. But honestly, not as a German national uh, coach. And when we talk about Glasner, it's a bit like, yeah, but I mean, what did he win? In, I mean, what is his CV? I mean, I, I think if you, if you would um, uh, have a, a foreign uh, national coach in Germany, it should be someone with the CV of Louis van Gaal, for example, and not with the CV of Oliver Glasner. 
I think Glasner is is also in the mix because of his good results with with Frankfurt, and because there aren't that many German speaking, uh, let alone German managers on the market. Uh, I don't know what your information is, Christoph. You have your ear close to the ground, but I was told by somebody close to the German FA that it'll take a bit more time. They haven't really yet figured out who they want, or perhaps if they have figured out who they want, uh, they can't get who they want and have to think again. But um, for for an association that was probably at least after the June games bracing themselves for for a big change, we don't, at least on the surface, can't see that much progress having been made when it comes to identifying a successor um when will you when will we see uh, results there you think i think we should see results um uh, before the next um, international games that will be in october um but i wouldn't be surprised if it would only be like a week before or so um so um But but you're right. The situation is difficult, and the t pockets of the German FA are not as deep as they um, have been in the past. That's also a problem. Uh, before Robert Mancini got, got his mega contract as a national coach in Saudi Arabia, Hansi Flick was the best-paid um, national manager in world football, and um, and you have to pay him until next year. Then you have to pay somebody um, who takes uh, takes over from him, and um, the German FA has a lot of financial troubles. Um, too complicated to tell here, but um, they it's 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 also a question of money. And uh, Julian Nagelsmann, I guess, is a expensive coach. He is an expensive coach. So, uh, last question: Is there a chance? even though he has said it won't happen, the German FA have said it won't happen, that Rudi Völler actually stays in charge until the Euros. I, I think so, yes. Um, um, you have to sell it to, to Völler uh, in a way, a bit like... Yeah, Hannes Wolf and Sandro Wagner are doing the work and you come in and... Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the whole life plan of Rudi Völler, when we look half, half a year back, was um, he was in retirement. He wanted to spend... I mean, he wanted to hang around probably sometimes in the football stadium, spend some time in Italy um, where where he uh, where he played and where his wife is coming from and and just having a good time and and now he is as you said he is the interim sports director of the German FA now he's the interim coach of uh, of the German FA and I think he is semi happy about it on the other hand, You could see yesterday, mm, yeah, it's also fascinating. Uh, you're back, back again on the sideline, people cheering for you. There's only one Rudi Völler. Mm, not too bad. And it's only until next year and so a limited time. And it's a Euros. 
in Germany. Eh, probably you can you can uh, sell it to him. Mm, interesting, very interesting. Okay, we'll see what will happen. Um, I don't think there'll be a documentary on the Rudy Fuller reign anytime soon. Uh, no latte macchiato is being served, but it's an exciting new stroke old <laughs> rebeginning for this Germany team. One last question um, uh, about this, this kind of documentaries. Would you say that anybody um, who was shown uh, in, in this way um, uh, improved his image? I think Mikhail Arteta at Arsenal, because he, he was seen as an emotional character where a lot of people found him in a way cold. But, but maybe here's the exception to the rule that... Um, it's it's kind of demystifying what's what's going on. How, how would you see? Yeah, it? it certainly it certainly takes away from the the mystique. I compared it to the scene in Wizard of Oz where you see the little man behind the curtain, uh, who's not really the, <laughs> the, the, the big um, magician, but uh, a, a guy just uh, operating with smokes and mirrors. I think Guardiola. I must say, I haven't watched a lot of these documentaries because I find them boring. But uh, Guardiola, I think, came across as the mad sort of genius that he is. Uh, very intense, very hard to to please, but uh, clearly gifted uh, with something quite extraordinary. And apart from that, yeah, um, hard, uh, hard to say if anyone really comes out. What was interesting, uh, just to, to close this chapter, was... The German FA didn't seem to have any kind of editorial control, nor did they seem to be able to control the timing because both the content and the timing, I think, was another reason why Flick had absolutely no chance. If he'd been shown as somebody who is very impressive and is just a victim of circumstances in the results or you know, somehow the team couldn't quite utilize his brilliant ideas then maybe everyone would have been a bit more happy for the German FA to give him more chances. But uh, the opposite, of course, was revealed, and that made his position even more untenable. So, um, as we said earlier, uh, really the, the, the worst kind of self-promotion um, possible. Self-demotion uh, would be maybe the better, <laughs> better word for this. <laughs> All right. I think that brings us to the end of this uh, National Team Edition. We'll be back on Monday uh, with a big round of German games, uh, especially uh, in the Champions League week. Uh, watch out for that. Until such time, thank you very much for your support. You can, of course, help us keep going by becoming a supporter or even better, becoming an ultra. We really still need a bit more help to keep this going until the end of the season. If you can, uh, please do sign up, uh, do support us. We uh, welcome you and If you become an ultra, you will even get a very special edition mug. But thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. I was Rafael Honigstein. I was Christoph Biermann and we say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Beer and Honey, the German football podcast.